The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome to episode 262 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. The Natty Hattie. I'm Luke Lipinski, and it is a short episode because we're doing two this week, but... Uh, Craig, it's cooled off a little bit here in Phoenix. I don't know if this it's cooled is cooled off like, a lot. Yeah, right. Where else can you live where it goes from 105 to 52 overnight? That was nuts. I, I, we could have had some a, a gradual drop in temperatures would have been nice, especially when with the summer that we dealt with. We didn't need to go all the way down into the 50s this quickly, although it's, it's warming up again. So we can't complain. I think the, the good weather's here for a while. Yeah, well, I'm going to reserve my complaining for when it gets back up to 105 next week somehow. Then, then I absolutely will. <laughs> yeah, if that happens, I'll be right there with you. Uh, let's get through some of the uh, AHL, NHL, OHL news here real quickly, mainly just trying to figure out when next season is going to start. I don't know about you, but my internal hockey clock is way off now because we're recording this at the end of October. And to me, we should be like three weeks into a new NHL season. And instead... We don't know when that new season's going to start. Yeah. Um, we've been getting some hints, though, from those other leagues uh, if, if the NHL is somewhere close to that schedule. And I think they will be, particularly the AHL. I've been hearing all along that people were thinking as late as February. And now we have start dates of the first week of February for both the OHL and the AHL. So I'm guessing the NHL is going to eventually announce somewhere around then. Maybe it'll start in late January, but. Yeah, we still have a, a ways to go. And I've heard a number of people tell me that they think training camps won't even open until after the holidays. Oh, wow. Okay. What, um, yeah, it's funny because I've heard training camps maybe mid-December or mid-January. So, I, I mean, it's, it's sort of – that does seem to at least be the schedule that they're shooting for. If they start in, let's say – let's just say February 1st, it, you're not playing 82 games at that point. I'm no. not even really sure how you're playing 70 games at that point, right? You got to go a little bit lower. Yeah, I think you do. You know, they they could go off, you know, precedent and say it'll be a 48 game season like they did after the lockout, but I think I think Gary Bettman and most owners would like to play more games than that for obvious reasons. They need the money. Of course, that's dependent on fans being in the stands. If they're not, then maybe that changes, but if you're going to condense the schedule and still try and squeeze in say 60 games, that regional play format that they're talking about really makes a lot of sense where you have a Canadian division, then you have, you know, whatever the realigned American divisions look like. And you really focus on playing within your own division. It's, it's an imperfect system, but it's imperfect time. So you're going to have some inequities with the teams that make the playoffs because some divisions are going to be stronger than others, but it might be the best way of getting as many games in as possible. But it, it creates its own set of issues too, right? If you're playing a condensed schedule, you know, I keep hearing about expanded rosters. Some people think there will be. Some people think they'll just stick with the same rules, but you'll you'll have a lot more call-ups. I, I don't know how it's going to play out at this point. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think you said it the, the, the best way in there. It's an imperfect solution, but these are imperfect times. I mean, <laughs> these times are far from perfect. So if we just can get any sort of season that is, you know, it's done safely like they did with, I don't think we're going to see a bubble, but like, you know, they, they were able to wrap up the last season's playoffs. If you're able to do that and at least have enough of a season, like you said, we have seen a 48 game season before back in 2012, 13. Um, you know, if you can do that, I, I think a lot of the focus internally has to be on 
Seattle starts next, next season. So they don't want to mess with the 21, 22 season at all, if they can help it. Right. And you've got the Olympics anyway, right? So you've got to, you've got to squeeze in that schedule before the Olympics start. So we should be back to, well, I I say that, you know, who knows what COVID's going to do, but at least now it looks like we could be back to a normal schedule after this next season. Wow. It's just been going. It feels, I know this has been unbelievable. Seven and a half, eight months. It feels like it's been 10 years. Yeah. I wrote a story on the Roadrunners today who haven't played in 230 some days. And, you know, with the start date, they're going to go almost a calendar year without playing a regular season game. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're right. It's a great point on the Roadrunners. There are certainly NHL teams too. I mean, if you, if you weren't in the bubble, Right. This past season to end the year, like L.A. and Anaheim and some of those teams, they won't have played in in basically a year. Um, Detroit. I mean, although some people would say Detroit hasn't played in four years, but <laughs> they officially won't have played in, in a full year. And it's it is uh, it's crazy. I mean, even the draft when it when it happened a couple weeks ago, it kind of it, it didn't feel the same, obviously. It's you know, but at the same time, I'm really as we get a little bit further away from the, the Stanley Cup, I'm thankful and impressed with how they were able to pull that off because there was definitely a few weeks in there in like March and April and May where you're kind of like, are we going to see, is this season just over and we're going to have to try and and scramble to to salvage a 2020 slash 21 season. And instead they pulled that off and, you know, I think the best team won and it was entertaining. It was really good hockey. It wasn't, it wasn't even a diminished product on the ice. So uh, I'm like I said, impressed slash thankful for how they were able to pull that off. And it does give me more confidence going forward that the NHL is going to do. They're going to do things the right way as best they can for this upcoming 21 season. And by the way, can we just call it the 21 season? Yeah, it's seriously. Always... I, I don't know why we're calling it the 2020, 2021 season anymore, uh, but, but, you know, for, I guess for consistency sake, but yeah, it's weird. Nothing, nothing in this season will take place. It sounds like in 2020. No, and it's already too much of a mouthful every year to say it anyway with the 2018, 19 season, <laughs> yeah. 19, 20. Yeah. So uh, especially with the way 2020 acted, we don't, we don't have to put that in the, uh, in the title of next season. Um, what'd you think of the stars jerseys that they just released earlier this I'm week? Trying to remember, I forgot to look up this tweet before the show, but somebody said these, these jerseys would look good in the dark. And it got me thinking how cool like an in the dark hockey game would be if you had fluorescent lines and posts and boards <laughs> and sticks and pucks, you, you could do it. You could pull off a fluorescent game and then it would be cool. Other than that, nah, I'm not so sure about those stars jerseys. Yeah. I'm trying to like them. Uh, they do look like Billy Eilish designed them. They are <laughs> just, <laughs> they look like really high end roller hockey jerseys or something. Like if you were, or if you were playing adult league hockey and those were your jerseys that your captain came back with, you're like, Oh, okay. These are awesome. The, the the only problem I have with them, it's not the coloring and maybe they'll grow on me. It just, they look like practice jerseys really yeah. for an NHL team. And it's not the coloring. It just, it looks like, it looks like the logo's ironed on. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't mind this, this uniform craze. I'd actually like to see it hit pro sports a little more. I think it's another potential for revenue. I yeah. don't know if I want to see it go the Oregon way where you, you know, you're rolling out something every week. And Every period. It, it just, yeah. And it just doesn't become interesting. It's not interesting anymore because there's so many things to keep track of, but I, I, I sort of like the idea, even though I'm not a huge Jersey guy, but I've seen some bad stuff come out late. Like it's not a Suns podcast, but did you see the new Suns Jersey? Yeah, I did. That's, that's pretty bad. I saw I, I, and it's right all taste, before we went right? here. It's all taste, but 
Yeah. See, I don't, I don't mind the Suns jersey as much as I mind the Stars. I kept jersey. seeing that Vancouver Canucks abomination from many years ago, the black jersey with the, oh. you know, all those crazy colors on I, it. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Wow, I really forgot about that. Remember, uh, Dallas used to have the one with like the bull head on it and like yes. the stars, yes. and they wore it. I think they wore it for like half a game, and I haven't seen it since. <laughs> yeah, people threw oranges at them, I think, and oh, they took them yeah. off. Yes. I think you're projecting your own, uh, your own Possibly. playing career. Could be. Um, okay. So those, it is worth noting since the first tweet I saw did not explain that they were their alternate jerseys. I thought Dallas had just completely changed their uniforms like for permanently. <laughs> and uh, if it's an alternate, yeah, go ahead and have some fun with it. It's, it's better than everybody looking the same. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk signing with Ottawa and you and me. And uh, do you remember Jamie Eisner? He was on a text thread with us the other day. Vaguely thought we had blocked his number but um he he pointed out this move and and my first and and honest reaction is he's probably going to be productive there i mean we have seen players in the past go to ottawa not really have the same pressure or the same responsibility defense players are you talking about there's been a few and okay and uh I'm, if i set the over under on 15 alex (laughs) sorry (laughs) not the only one um, well, we don't know how many games there are going to be. That's the problem. Well, but I, that. I think, I think Galchenyuk is going to produce. Well, he's, he's certainly got some incentive now, doesn't he? After signing for, you know, slightly over the league minimum. Yeah. It's crazy how, look, Alex Galchenyuk wasn't going to land a big contract anyway, but I'm continually struck by how much COVID has impacted the market for free agents. What an awful year to be a free agent in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, and, and on both ends of the spectrum, right? Like it's it's t- unless you're Alex Petrangelo, but if you are uh, Taylor Hall, you knew you were going to have to take less or just take a one year deal because you have played well enough to earn more than you're going to get. And on the flip side, if you're a guy like Alex Galchenyuk who has underachieved, I think in a lot of people's eyes up to this point in his career, you're just kind of hanging on for for dear life to to keep your career going right now, and so you have to take what you can get. But like you said, an opportunity to prove himself and and. It's not like he wasn't motivated before, but he certainly has a little extra motivation now because you're talking about was he was the third pick in the draft? Second, mm-hmm. he was a top five pick. Yeah. So why am I blanking on when he went in the draft? But yeah, I don't know. yeah, and, and and got off to a good start in Montreal too, and then it just seems to have continually crept south since then. It is crazy, and I know this happens in every sport, but I really do think it happens the most in hockey and football, depending on your position in football. That's uh, yeah, he's third overall pick in 2012. Um, how much of a role where you land plays in your career? And it's not like he he was heading towards the Hall of Fame if he stayed in Montreal, but there were a couple of years early, and he's a 30 goal career or 30 goal season on his on his resume. And we saw it firsthand with the Coyotes. I, I thought he was actually pretty effective offensively when he played. He just couldn't stay on the ice that year. And then you, once you get into that that blender of, oh, now you're playing for Minnesota and now you're playing for this team and that team, usually yeah. once you go through that blender, you end up on Ottawa. So maybe maybe he's uh, a... <laughs> you lose confidence too, right? And confidence plays yeah. such a big role in this game. And and look, it, it, it doesn't mean much because it was a preseason game. But do you remember that preseason game when he stepped onto the ice and we watched their power play and yeah. everybody was like, whoa, wow, is this going to look different? And then he got hurt instantly. He hurt his knee instantly and, and it just never materialized for him here. Yeah, and I mean, I understand why they ended up making the move they made when they traded him. But again, you go back to that. He only played one season for the Coyotes. He played 72 games, but 
some of those he was hurt. There really was no, there wasn't a whole lot of rhythm because he would be in the lineup and then out for a few games. And he still put up 19 goals and 41 points, which again, if that's your best player on offense, you're not going to go anywhere. But if he's your second line winger or something, and he can bump those numbers up a little bit by just the consistency of staying with the same team the next year. But like you said, you lose your own confidence as a player. You don't really develop any chemistry with line mates because you're not even on the same team. I'm sure other GMs look at, at, at a player once they've moved around and they're like, well, there must be something wrong because they keep moving around. So right. I don't know. I'm pulling for him, but, uh, but certainly he's, uh, he's got some work to do and probably not yeah. going to win a lot in Ottawa. I don't, I, and I, I, don't, I don't know that the narrative around him in Montreal was fair. Um, it was sort of tabloidish the way they covered him. And I, I don't think that helped him either. I, I mean, Alex is a nice enough guy. I thought he was a little, a little awkward, a little uncomfortable in interviews, but he's a nice enough guy. And he was, he was always willing to talk and I don't know, seemed like a responsible guy and talk always talked about him being a guy who put in the time. So I didn't see any issues on that front. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned his demeanor in interviews. Absolutely. One just a really, really good guy and always tried to give you a really thoughtful answer, which, which I liked uh, certainly within my role. But he did seem I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't say awkward. I would say he seemed like he came from a media market where they held every word against him, basically. And yeah. I can only imagine what that's like to go from Montreal to Phoenix, Arizona for, for playing hockey. And, it, it, and we've seen it. We've seen variations of this with other players that uh, that will come through town after playing in somewhere like Montreal or Toronto, where you can tell they've answered openly before and they've had it held against them by the fans or in the press. And so here they're kind of like, they're like trying to to figure out what they exactly can or can't say. And then by the end of the season, they usually are a little more comfortable, but he only got that one season. Yeah. I'll never, Um, I'll never forget when we went back to Montreal for the first time. And uh, that was actually, that was, I think that was it the same trip, that infamous trip where we had to take a bus from Ottawa to Montreal and there was a snowstorm in Montreal. So they didn't end up holding a press conference for Alex at, at the arena. They actually had local media come to the hotel where we were staying and they put us in this back room that was far too small for the amount of media that showed up. I don't, I don't know if the Coyotes had a sense of how many people were going to show up for this thing, but they, yeah, it was the same thing. It was just, it was cameras, like a, an entire semicircle of cameras alone. And then reporters in front of them just grilling the guy. And I was just like, wow. It's, <laughs> and some, some of the questions you're just like, okay, the, this is not really journalism that we're doing right now, but we'll get through it. Yeah, that would be, I, I think it would be, in a lot of ways, a lot of fun to be an NHL player in Canada for a lot of reasons. But if you are not one of the truly elite, if you're not Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, I mean, even Austin Matthews takes a ton of heat in Toronto. And so does John Tavares. If you're not one of the truly elite, right. any mistake you make is going to be held against you. <laughs> and there's so many reporters up there that you can tell some of them are trying to make a name for themselves by being, meaner than the other ones every every fan recognizes them too you walk into a grocery store to buy some milk and you get grilled about what you did the night before it's crazy yeah um so we have a few of the the key pieces of the coyotes future playing in europe right now most of them seem to be going to finland barrett hayton's going to be playing in finland and uh you can make a very strong argument as i have in the past that he might be the most important player in the coyotes organization because he has you hope uh, the upside to be a, a true number one center at some point. But the thing that stands out when the, when the story came out that Barrett was, uh, was going to Finland to play 
was how little he actually got to play last year, last yeah. season, because of that stupid rule with the, yeah. uh, with the CHL. Yeah, he really was the classic tweener, and I, I know he, he probably should. He would have benefited most, I think, from playing in the AHL, and, and I really think they, they need to rework that rule at some point so that there's at least an exception. But when you go back and look at it now in hindsight, it sure feels like a wasted year for Barrett Hayton. You know, look, I know they, they had hoped to play him more. Um, he got the injury at, at the World Juniors that didn't help, or he probably would have played in more games here. He might have had a, a better role coming off of that had he come back into the lineup right after it, feeling good. So there were some mitigating factors, but in the end, he just didn't get enough game time, and, and that's a shame because he, he needs to continue developing. So I love this move. I mean, I know a lot of teams are doing it, but I love the idea of sending him over. And I asked Bill Armstrong specifically about this about a week ago. The ideal here is that he has such a head start on everybody else that when he comes into training camp, he's already ready to play, and it can just catapult him into the season, and he can be an NHL player right away. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, though, Uh if you look at the St. Louis Blues track record with, with their players, uh, with their prospects, and Bill has said this, they're not a, they were not an organization that pushed kids into the NHL too fast. Barrett is AHL eligible right now. If they feel he's not ready, I don't think they'll be afraid, or at least they should not be afraid, to put him in the AHL with the Jan Yenicks, with with Victor Soderstrom, and let him at least play some time down there before they call him up. You, you can't screw up the, the, the development of these players. They're too critical to your future. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I completely agree with that uh, decision-making, if that's the path they go down. If they go down that path, Tucson's going to have an amazing AHL team with Johan Yannick and Victor Soderstrom and Barrett Hayton. But, I mean, those yeah. three guys that you, you named right there, obviously Hayton and Soderstrom being first-round picks, and, and, you know, the – the, the farm club, the, the depth in that regard for the Coyotes right now, a lot of their young players that were prospects have been playing the last few years. So when you start to go the depth of the farm system, there's not, um, there's not as much. I mean, those, so those guys at the very top, like Hayton and Soderstrom and now Yannick, just because of the way he's played, he wasn't that high of a draft pick, but guys like that, it's so important. It's not just, Hey, find the best guy and draft them. You have to develop them. And yeah, you know, to your point with what happened last season, I, I don't know that there's much the Coyotes could have done differently because of the rule and because Hayton got hurt at the World Juniors. I mean, his performance at the World Juniors when he was able to play was was outstanding. And so, like you said, that's there's probably a lot more value in him performing like that on that stage than him just going back to the OHL and, and playing against very inferior competition. But at the end of the day, that's the uh, the, the reality of the situation. The flip side is... Most teams, young prospects right now haven't played in a while because of all the COVID stuff. So it's it's not like it's an even playing field, but this is a big year for Barrett Hayton going forward. Yeah. So I'm glad he's playing professionally somewhere. No question. And it, yeah, and you mentioned the fact that they have a number, a lot of their key prospects, pretty much all of their key prospects are playing in Europe with Hayton in Finland. Uh, Matthias Michelli, of course, is there. So are Jan Yannick and Akurati. Uh, Victor Soderstrom's playing with AIK in Sweden. They've got the couple Russians that they drafted that they're still high in. And then the only guy that right now is not playing, and there, there are no plans yet, but I, that doesn't mean that he won't go play at some point, is Ivan Prosvitov, who's another guy who will be in Tucson next year and is another very high prospect for them. It would probably be good to get him some playing time as well. We'll see what they can work out. Uh, Yannick in particular, too, that is somebody to be 
excited about with this with this team. I, I don't know what their expectations were when they drafted him, but from what he has done since they drafted him, it's like you got to have guys like that that you get in a later round and he comes and they're able to score. That's what they need. I really wonder where he'd be if it hadn't been for the ACL ACL injury at World Juniors in I guess I think it was December. Um, you know, he spent all this time rehabbing rehabbing when he could have been playing and developing and maybe gotten you know a year further along in his development. Um, but it's good to see that he's ready. In fact, his his agent Alan Walsh told me yesterday that he's actually been cleared for more than a month, so it was time to get him some playing time. So it appears like Jan, Jan Yenik is back to hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's huge. And you go back to the World Juniors. It it sucked for the Coyotes because of the injuries, but there was a stretch there where Hayton and Yenick were two of the very best players in that tournament. So um, something to be encouraged about there, certainly. Real quick, the goaltending for the Coyotes as we go forward. Now, a lot of people have asked this question. At the moment, you have Kemper and Ranta and Aiden Hill signed. I know Bill Armstrong has said, this is probably, you know, what we have right now is what we're going to have to start next season. He doesn't anticipate, at least right now, any any big moves uh, going down. But specifically in net, I mean, how do you see that shaking out now going into next season? You don't really have room for three goalies. Well, I, this is what I wonder about. Um, with, or do you with, this year? Yeah, you may. With the condensed schedule, I asked Bill Armstrong about this, too. And he said, look, you your goalies are going to go down pretty quick with injuries if you're playing them in back-to-backs and a, a lot of nights. You know, If the schedule is so condensed where you're playing multiple games in a week, you might need that third goalie round if for nothing more than to simply take practice reps and give the starter a day off. So they may consider doing something like that. Remember, they have Brian DeCord here now. They have somebody in charge of their goaltending uh, at a higher level and taking a look at it sort of a, you know, from, from that analytical view. So I'm sure it's something that they're considering, keeping a third goalie around. It, it might not be a bad idea to have Aiden Hill here. And then, you know, you have Prozvatov obviously getting a lot more time. You want to see that anyway. You want him to get a lot of playing time. You just probably have to figure out your backup situation in Tucson. And you have to figure out a way where Aiden Hill isn't simply riding the bench in the NHL all this time. You need to find ways to get him back to Tucson to play in some games. I don't know if, if you just use the conditioning stint as the excuse, or if they just relax the rules for a season so that you can have more movement between those clubs to allow for this unusual situation. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I don't know, two, three years from now, how this, this stretch right now with, with all the, the COVID related delays and, and guys sitting out and, you know, the season getting postponed and then delayed or whatever. Some teams are, I mean, I, every team's obviously trying to navigate this as best they can, but I do wonder if we're going to look back in two or three years and be like, Oh yeah, this team, their players that they drafted in 2018 and 19 and 20 are doing so well in 22 and 23 because of how they navigated all this. And there's no playbook. I mean, nobody knows how to do this because it doesn't happen before, but um, it, it is, it's, it's not just a pivotal time just for Barrett Hayton. I mean, it, like you said, it's pivotal for Aiden Hill too. And then throw in the extra complication of the expansion drafts next, uh, next summer, ideally. So, yeah. And when, yeah. And the, the rules, we know the rules are going to be the same. So, I mean, I, I'm making the assumption that Aiden Hill is going to be the guy that's left unprotected in that situation. But, you know, uh, eight, uh, Ante Ranta won't be around anymore. He's not under contract. And Darcy Kemper is going into the final year of his contract. What if they traded him? Then what do you do? I, you know, a lot of people have asked me, can you write a story saying what, what it's going to look like in the expansion draft? To me, that's just crazy. It's so premature. There are so many moves that are going to occur between now and then that it's, 
why? Why would I do that? It's it's just it's it. What is that? It's just bad journalism. It's just a ton of speculation. I have no idea what the roster is going to look like. That was probably Jamie Eisner, who just is tweeting you from different accounts. Ah, okay. Do a mock draft. Do uh, yeah. you know a mock expansion draft uh, rankings, and, and then rankings. Yes. Um, by the way, have has anybody heard from Gilbert Anthony? Since uh, Jamie's last show, I know. So I, I think he tweeted in last last episode and was like, "What's the point?" But now I wonder if like <laughs> if he just unsubscribed and we're never going to hear from him again. Ironically, as the product gets better, I hadn't uh, thought about the idea of starting a you know missing Jamie Eisner support group, but maybe we should think about that. Maybe he's already started one. Yeah, um, he holds them in his closet. <laughs> hey, don't no don't knock doing a podcast from your closet until you've tried it. It really cuts down on the echo. I'm doing this for the listeners. Oliver Ekman Larson, we finally heard from him in the last uh, couple of days talking about his situation where he's obviously now back with the Coyotes. I made this point to you, I think, off the air a couple of weeks ago. What has impressed me most from Bill Armstrong so far, and, and we have a very small sample of work, but what has impressed me is that he came in and didn't make a bunch of hasty moves to try to impress people at his new job. You know what I mean? There was all this talk that Oliver was getting traded. There was all this talk that you got to move Darcy Kemper because he's your best trade chip and you don't have draft picks now for first three rounds this year and the first two rounds next year. And there's some truth to that, but I, I like the patience he showed by not coming in and just taking a weak offer for Oliver or trying to force Darcy Kemper out so he can say, Hey, look, I got a second round pick next year. Look what I'm doing. He immediately recognized these are probably my two best assets other than I, and maybe like a Jacob Chikrin just based on, you know, his upside and, and his contract and everything. But uh, that has impressed me. We obviously have to see how this all plays out, but Oliver coming back is ultimately good for the coyotes, but it was good to hear him talk too. Cause it also, you know, could be an awkward situation if it's not handled right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to manage all that. And that we've talked about this before, Luke, OEL is a pretty easygoing guy and uh, that's probably going to help this process. And I, you know, I do think his relationship with Rick Tockett was better last season. It's just the, the awkwardness of knowing ownership wanted to, tr- uh, to trade you. How are you going to work through all that? Maybe, maybe it won't be as big a factor because ownership's really not going to be in the locker room. He'll just go about his business like he normally would. And, and they can try it, put, try and put this behind him. But uh, again, it's uh it's a weird situation to have your captain in that situation. I still wonder what they're going to do with the captaincy. Are they going to ask him to relinquish that? I can't, I can't imagine they would do that, but it creates a number of awkward situations for sure that they're going to have to smooth over. And, and, and not, not the least of which is they need to get Oliver back to playing as an elite defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. And some of the comments he made to uh, this is, it's a Swedish outlet. Yeah. Just essentially, you know, what we had kind of, surmised and what we kind of knew anyway but it probably for the masses that don't necessarily live here for the you know the hockey fans around the country or the world probably felt good for Oliver just to get it out there that he didn't want to leave Arizona he specifically had signed here for a reason he I think he said in one of his quotes he signed because he wanted to to play with Arizona until he was 36 he gave um Vancouver and Boston as potential places because in, in you know in his words that he didn't want to completely back the Coyotes into a corner where they couldn't trade him Right. But also we know this. I mean, he is big on, on where he lives and he likes living in Arizona. He chose Boston and Vancouver as two places he'd be willing to go for that reason. Two pretty good places to live. But uh, 
it's tough to, especially as a new GM with everything going on, to step in and get a good deal from from a team when they know they're one of only two teams bidding on them. Yeah, and and to the point of him not wanting to leave Arizona. I mean, his his agent Kevin Epp made that clear. He's obviously speaking for the player that that that, that wasn't the reason for all of this. It, they were simply obliging the team because the team had requested the opportunity to trade him. That's all that was about. He he genuinely loves living here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, you're bringing your captain back. I've said this before, this team, though it was a strange path, did technically make the playoffs last year and their defense and their goaltending is what they're built around. And those are all now completely intact, at least as of October 29th, as we record this, they still need scoring. Uh, it you can't just look at it in a vacuum and say, well, no, no other team got better or worse in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is pretty good, but I know there's this feeling because they lost the draft picks and because things went so sideways at the end of the season, like, oh, the Coyotes are done. In terms of what the product they're putting out on the ice next year, it's basically the same as what they were putting out last year minus Taylor Hall. But prior to acquiring Taylor Hall, they were in first place. So I'm not saying everything is rosy, but – their issues are going to come down the line without the draft picks, not next year. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. And look, I, I still think you can say this team has a shortage of scoring, even though they were in first place, were they well, going they to do. keep that up? I, I don't know. We're, yeah. That, that is definitely a weakness of this team, but you're right. The, the, the draft situation is, is going to rear its head in a couple seasons. And in fact, uh, not only did they not have a first, second or third round draft pick this year, as we were recording, the Coyotes have renounced the draft rights to Mitchell Miller amid all of the controversy and reporting. That's 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 basically it's one of the biggest stories in North America for hockey right now. So now they don't have a fourth round draft pick anymore. He's not going to be a Coyote. Yeah, um, it, it's such a, an important topic, and like you said, it's just now happening as as we're recording this podcast. So I won't go too deep into it. I will just say I think renouncing him the right move yeah and it's it i mean it, and it's clear that they bowed to pressure here um they were they were going to try and work with him um and that that was their stance they made it clear that they were going to try and work with him to overcome that and this is a tough one for me luke uh, like what he did was it was disgusting there's there's just no way to get around that and you can say yeah he was 14 but i don't i don't know many 14 year olds who commit those sorts of actions so you just can't you can't brush that under the rug and say, well, you know, you get, I'll need to, you know, move past that because he was 14 years old. At the same time, what capacity do we have for forgiveness and, and, and what are we going to allow a 14 year old to do to grow, to move past that, to learn from it? Um, I think that's a, an important part of this discussion as well. But when you read some of the accounts, it doesn't look like Mitchell Miller was sufficiently contrite. And, and owned up to what he did at the time. It's not like he's out there as a, you know, a, a shining light against racism and bullying. He really hasn't done anything more than the court ordered him to do. So if you want to try and convince people that a guy has moved past these incidents, those are really good ways to do it. And maybe they would have had him, maybe they would have used him in that capacity. Um, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to come from a higher authority telling you to do it. It should be recognition on your own part that you did something wrong and now you have a debt to society. So you have to act accordingly. And that, that hasn't happened yet for Mitchell Miller. Maybe it will, maybe he will be able to move past this eventually and, and find himself a pro career. 
Yeah, you know, I th- you said a lot in there, but I, I think a, a big part, at least for me, and again, this is all happening as we're recording, so I don't know all the reasoning. I have the Coyote statement in front of me. You get all these other reports after the draft that he doesn't really seem to be remorseful, and I don't know him. So, I mean, some of that is I'm just going off reporting, obviously. But, man, I mean, it's – like you said, you're 14. It shouldn't, it shouldn't just completely close all opportunities to you for the rest of your life. Yeah, but we're talking about playing in the NHL and being a millionaire. Yeah, that's a privilege. A I don't have a, people. Yeah, yeah, that's a privilege. I don't have a problem with that. Not like just handing the guy an NHL contract. You you got to earn it at this point. We're not going to like close off your future, but it doesn't mean you get to be a professional hockey player after what you did. That is still a privilege. Um, again, he's going to have to he's going to have to earn his way back into the league now, especially after all of this. I mean, no team is going to touch him right now, so he's going to have to figure out how. What, what his path is to a professional hockey career at this point. On the Coyote side now, the fact that they're cutting bait now, Luke, I, I don't know. I, I mean, why didn't, you, why didn't you see this coming beforehand? And, and now it looks like you're just bowing to pressure, and maybe that's what you should do. Maybe that's, that's, you should be responsive to cu- your community, and when they tell you this is unacceptable, you have to cut bait and run. But, again, why didn't you come to that realization before you made this pick? That's, that's a tough question they, they need to ask themselves about their process. I'm troubled by the fact that they didn't call the mother. When we hear teams talking all the time about doing due diligence on prospects, why didn't they call the mother if they thought they might draft this player? For that matter, why didn't NH, any NHL team call the mother and do that? Why is he playing at North Dakota? Why, why has he gotten all these other opportunities? These are questions that have to be asked about the process at this point. Yeah, there was a lot of reports this week jumping on the Coyotes. I didn't really see anybody jumping on North Dakota, which is that's it's interesting. And I know some or the of USHL or USA Hockey. There, there are a number of bodies that have said, "Okay, we we're convinced that he's moved past this." Yeah. So that's a weird way to end the show, but as usual, we're doing a show and news uh, ends up breaking. So there, uh, there we go. That's uh, this has been an interesting podcast, Craig. As usual, <laughs> sure has. All right, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.